In chapter 8 is where we find ourselves this evening. What we want to look at are the first four of seven trumpets soon to sound forth from heaven in John's apocalypse. So we're just looking at verses 6 through 13 of chapter 8 this evening. So let me just read uh, that text for us and then pray for our time. So let us listen now as God speaks to us yet again through His perfect Word. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. And the fourth angel blew his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened. And a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray together once again. Father, we do thank you that even by your word and through your spirit, that you sound the trumpet of truth to us tonight. And these four trumpets help us to hear their shouts, help us to listen to their calls, help us to understand their signals, that we might abound in fear and faith before you. Help us once again to hear the blessed words of this vision that we might receive the promised benediction that you have given to us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you know anything about American theological history in the early 20th century, so kids in the early 1900s, uh, you might know that many of the mainline churches in America were quite rapidly succumbing to theological liberalism. And so there was something of a pamphlet war at the time, even waged sometimes in newspapers and radio broadcasts, certainly in book form, from people trying to defend true orthodox theology against this creeping liberalism. And some of uh, the greatest defenders of the faith came from within our uh, Presbyterian and Reformed heritage, but certainly many other evangelical leaders and theologians chimed in also. And most of those critiques focused on how liberal theology... Uh, was doing away with God's transcendence. So students, what I mean by that is liberal theology was downplaying what we might call the blinding holiness of God or the utter depravity of mankind or the genuine reality of eternal punishment 
forever towards sinners. But probably the most famous critique, certainly the most scathing verdict ever ushered against liberal theology at the time, came from an individual much closer to that camp. It was a Yale theologian and ethicist by the name of Richard Niebuhr. And somewhere in his writings, he said this, criticizing and again really excoriating liberal theology. He said, it preaches a God without wrath, who brings man without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of a Christ without the cross. In other words, it takes all the hard elements of sound doctrine out of Christianity. And what you want to know when you come to Revelation, I trust that you're beginning to see over and over and over, is that it abolishes forever the idea that we serve a God without wrath, who brings man without sin into a kingdom without judgment. Because even one commentator I read on tonight's text said, with something of his classic understated uh, statement and comment, he said, there's a good deal of judgment in Revelation. And if you ever read through Revelation, you know there's, there's much more than a good deal of judgment in Revelation. Because what we're dealing with, of course, is those great eternal central realities of a Father who rules from the throne, the Son who ascends to the throne, sits at His right hand, and who rules the nations under the footstool of heaven, unto judgment and death, should they continue to re- remain unrepentant and unbelieving, but unto salvation and life, if there's repentance and faith. And so what you're going to see tonight in the seven trumpets is yet again another cycle going through human history, and it's going to be a cycle that yet again, this won't be for the last time in Revelation, is in every way simply, centrally, significantly emphasizing God's judgment upon the wicked. And so you're going to want to recognize students, and especially children, that as you read through God's Word, you need to have a growing understanding about the glory of God's judgment, the goodness of God's judgment. Because even people from within inside the church often want to downplay the glory and the goodness of God's judgment. But if we do so, we of course cheapen the work of Jesus Christ Himself as He took and absorbed all of that judgment on the cross in the place of His people. And so you want to feel the full wrath of God that's going to come, increasingly so, not just in the seven trumpets, but increasingly so throughout the book of Revelation, that it might humble your heart before the Lord and lead you to, as we'll see at the end, fear and faith. So all we want to look at tonight are four truths about the first four trumpets. I'm going to go through it in a little bit of a different way than how I normally would bring us to God's Word, going largely verse by verse through it in a sequential order. I'm also going to pass through it a couple of times that we might glean four simple truths from these four trumpets. And I'm going to spend the overall majority of our time on the second truth, some time on the third truth, and Not much time on the first and the fourth truth, but nevertheless, they're there anyway, and I think helpful for us to recognize when we come to our text tonight. So, where do we leave off? Let's make sure we get the context for where we were. If you were with us last week, we looked at the first five verses of chapter 8. It was there that John saw Jesus Christ, again, pictured as the Lamb of God, slaughtered and slain. There, the slaughtered Lamb, he opened the seventh and the final seal on this scroll that he took from the Father's right hand, this scroll that unleashed God's plan for the destiny of of all humanity. And if you remember all the way back to chapter 6, it was in the sixth seal being opened that we got our first picture of final judgment in Revelation. So again, if you you were thinking with John by the time you get to chapter 8, where we were last week in the seventh seal, 
slowly being broken, slowly unfolding the scroll underneath it. You, you would think that what you're getting ready to see is this vision of the consummation of all things. Because the sixth seal left off with the final judgment. But we saw how last week, actually, the seventh seal didn't do anything. It just ushered in 30 minutes, about 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And what we said last week was that the hush fell over heaven so that the prayers of the saints could be heard around the throne. And of course, what we saw even that seal was opened, seven trumpets were coming. You'll notice verse 6 of our text, now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And what we saw last week was this angel present the prayers of God's people, incensing them. So uh, making sure that they smelled fragrant to the Lord as he was bringing them to the altar. And that very same censer that sensed the prayers by the end of our text last week, verse 5, was thrown down to earth in fiery judgment. And now the seven trumpets come. So where you find yourself tonight is the unveiling of another cycle of sevens in the book of Revelation. And students, you don't want to forget because it's also significant. What we see tonight is God's answer to the prayers of His people. This is God's answer to the prayers of His people for their vindication, for the judgment of His enemies. So truth number one about the first four trumpets. The first four trumpets give John another perspective on human history. That's what you want to see from the outset in the beginning. So zoom way out, if you will, from Revelation to understand this. It's John's second perspective on the course of human history. So we said weeks ago when we came to the seven seals, John loves these sevens. Kids, you might remember his favorite number is seven. And much of the book is taken up with these three patterns of judgment. You've got the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. And my argument in our perspective says that each one of those series of sevens is telling the story of human history between Christ's ascension and Christ's descent, His second coming at the end of all things. So it's giving us just a different perspective on human history between those comings of Jesus Christ, and the way that I would want you to think about it once again, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, is just imagine that you're watching at home on a Saturday afternoon a college football game. And if you've ever watched a college football game, you know that there are many different cameras that the TV crew has around the stadium. You might think of a camera at the 50-yard line, positioned up high where the press box is. And then there's, of course, maybe a, several cameras at the end zone for the away team and the end zone for the home team. There's pylon cameras. There's the MetLife blimp that's zooming overhead that's got the entire scope of the game in play. And so what will happen in the course of a game, a lot of times you'll get to see the same play from different vantage points. Maybe from the camera up close on a particular part of the secondary, the offensive line. Maybe a camera from this angle on one particular player. Maybe a camera that's zoomed out. Even these days, one that seems to be like a drone floating over the field, taking in the entire scene. But the point is, of course, all those cameras are looking at the exact same game, just from different vantage points. And so what you're seeing in Revelation is different vantage points, on human history. So the seven seals, they were giving John one sweep through human history. And now it's as though with the opening of the seventh and the bringing of the seven trumpets, he's getting yet another sweep through human history from a different vantage point. So truth number one is that the first four trumpets give John another perspective on human history. Number two, and this is our longest one, they summon plague-like punishment on the wicked. Plague-like punishment on the wicked. Because notice again what we're told in verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, 
And there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. There's a clear echo there, I think, to Exodus chapter 9 and the plague of hail that fell on Egypt. Verse 8 tells us the second trumpet, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. Even verse 10 tells us a great star fell from heaven. It fell on the third of the rivers and springs of water and it became wormwood. In other words, waters of life become bloody waters, bitter waters of death. Surely that reminds you of a plague that fell upon Egypt in Exodus chapter 7 when the Nile River was turned into blood. What was a source of life was now a source of, of death. And not just that, you'll see, of course, in verse 12, a third of the sun was struck, same with the moon and the stars, that a third of their light might be darkened. And a plague of darkness didn't it fall on Exodus I'm sorry, on Egypt in Exodus chapter 10. So it seems to be that there's this kind of self-conscious reflection of John as he's looking at these things, as he's writing these things down, these plague-like punishments that are falling on the wicked. So students and kids, if you were with us back in November in our morning services, we were walking through all of the plagues in one entire sermon. And do you remember what the point of the plagues on the Egyptians was? Uh, Pharaoh heard from Yahweh himself that the point was so that God's name might be proclaimed in all the earth. These judgments were coming upon the wicked. These judgments were coming upon the idolatrous. These judgments were coming on those who were persecuting God's people. And it wasn't just judgment was the purpose. It was judgment to proclaim God's name. And you need to understand that that's exactly what's happening here with these trumpets. Judgments upon the idolatrous. Judgments upon the wicked. Judgments upon those who persecute God's people so that His name might be revealed in all the earth. But let's ask the question here in this second truth. Are we to take these things literally? What you see in these four trumpets. And if you've been with us in recent weeks through Revelation, you know that we've probably said before in a variety of different ways, but certainly here's a simple way to remember it. Little in Revelation is meant to be taken literally. Little in Revelation is meant to be taken literally. And the reason why is you can just scan your eyes through the text and as John describes what he's seen, notice it's saying it's like this. He's not saying it is this. It's like a fiery mountain. So therefore, I think we're right to understand that these trumpets each are symbolizing a kind of judgment that's going to fall upon the earth in between the comings of Jesus Christ. So what's the first trumpet then symbolizing? Well, you'll see that it talks about hail and fire mixed with blood that's going to consume parts of the earth, the trees, and the grass. And that's an ancient way of talking about famine. A famine is going to strike the world. And then the second angel blows his trumpet. You see something like a great mountain, again, burning with fire. It's thrown into the sea. Now, some people would take this as, as something that's happened in human history, that this great volcanic explosion has happened and, and judged a particular people or a particular city. But in the Old Testament especially, nations are often depicted as mountains. And a mountain being overthrown is typical apocalyptic language of God judging a nation. And you want to keep an eye out for this in the remaining chapters, but I think it's quite clear in the whole of Revelation, this particular mountain is nothing less than the mountain, the nation of Babylon. 
that's going to be judged, of course, in chapters to come in Babylon and Revelation. It really represents the entire fallen world order that God in His power and His justice is overthrowing evil nations in the second trumpet. The third trumpet, of course, speaks about this star named Wormwood. Now, I remember uh, several years ago at the last church I was at, we sang a church, oh, I'm sorry, we sang a song that night that we sang on this night, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. And you came to that line that you might remember, sinners whose love can ne'er forget the wormwood and the gall. And I had this well-meaning college-age girl come up to me after the service, somewhat vexed, what's wormwood? And if you're well acquainted with C.S. Lewis, it's not that novice demon from screw tape letters that needs demonic instruction. Wormwood is just a plant that the ancients would throw into water and it would become bitter. But here in Revelation, it's not just bitter water, it's poisonous water. It talks about this bitterness that's coming to parts of the earth, and certainly it's meant to then represent bitterness of suffering, anguish, and affliction. The fourth trumpet is that of darkness, isn't it? A third of all these major lights are struck. And I hope you know your Bible well enough to know that oftentimes in apocalyptic literature, darkness is used to symbolize the the spiritual darkness that falls on unbelievers. They're spiritually blind to the light of Jesus Christ. And so what the second truth is telling us is that God, Christ Jesus, through these trumpets, is ushering in, summoning forth plague-like judgment, plague-like punishment upon the wicked. Now, certainly, when you come to 2021, reading a text like this in the midst of a pandemic that has plagued the earth, uh, you must wonder the degree to which God has not sent a plague upon us for the purposes of punishment and purity. Because Revelation is telling us God has been doing that for centuries and centuries, even millennia and millennia. But the third truth that balances in some ways the text out a little bit is that the first four trumpets send partial judgment on the world. So there's plague-like punishment, but it's partial judgment. Just scan your eyes again through each one of the trumpets. You see how it's emphasizing a third of the various recipients. So in the first trumpet, it's a third of the earth that was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. In the second trumpet, it's a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Of course, you see also in verse 10 and following with Wormwood, that it was a third of the rivers that it fell on. And in verse 12 and following the darkness, it was a third of their light might be darkened. So clearly then, these judgments that are summoned forth in these seven trumpets, or at least these first four trumpets, these are, these are not universal, total, worldwide punishments. That's a partial judgment upon the earth. Therefore, it's signaling for us that that great day of judgment that will bring judgment upon all people, uh, that's yet to come, which leads to the fourth truth. That the first four trumpets point to the greater judgment to come. Because notice verse 13 once again. John says, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now, kids, if you are outside today, and surely this wouldn't happen in North Texas very often, if ever. Maybe you've seen it. I never have in all my life in North Texas. An eagle flying overhead. And say you saw said eagle flying overhead. What would you think that eagle was up to? 
if you're thinking rightly, probably hunting. So eagles, especially as they're depicted in the Old Testament, tend to be these birds of prey. Uh, they, they're used to announce pending judgment as exactly what this eagle is doing here, this threefold woe. Remember, three trumpets remain, three woes are given. And what he's saying is, prepare yourself, those who dwell on the earth. That's Revelation's technical phrase for unbelieving people. You unbelieving people, prepare yourself because even greater judgment is on the way. And you'll want to stay, I hope, for the next few weeks because you'll see the degree to which greater judgment is indeed on the way. That doesn't just afflict afflict, I'm sorry, parts of the earth, but it's now actually going to afflict unbelievers, unrepentant people directly, leading up to what is the trumpet's version of the final judgment. So it points to this greater judgment to come. When you see then famine, perhaps even a pandemic, bitterness of suffering, affliction, Spiritual darkness mark the world. Nations being overthrown. What you're seeing are the trumpets at work. What you are hearing is the sounding of the trumpets that in every way is meant to signal to the earth greater judgment is on the way. And what will you do with that sound of the trumpet? I think it was in 1973 in and around 1973, that a woman named Betsy Eady allegedly died on an operating table. And she was dead for five hours before she came back to life. And it was one of those first bestsellers that came by way of heavenly tourism because she eventually wrote about her experience in those five hours of death where she said she was summoned to heaven and she walked around with Jesus and it was published as a New York Times bestseller called Embraced by the Light. And she's got this passage in there where she talks about Jesus' kindness, his, his mercy in heaven. And she says, and I quote, He didn't want to do or say anything that might offend me. And of course, that is the notion that many people today have of Jesus. He doesn't want to do, he doesn't want to say anything that would offend me. But of course, much better is John's apocalyptic vision that presents Jesus Christ and the fullness of all his often threatening power. That he's the one unleashing these judgments upon the earth because he's the one that's opening the scrolls, that's summoning forth these seven seals, the summoning forth these trumpets that are sounding, therefore summoning forth plague-like punishment, partial judgment upon the world that's going to lead to that great cataclysmic day of final judgment at the end of all things. So the question is, when you come to these simple truths, what are you going to do with it? When, when, you, when you notice trumpets are sounding all around you, judgment is falling partially all around you, what will you do? Well, number one, you respond with fear. You respond with fear. If you haven't ever trembled before the Lord, reckoning with your unrighteousness and His righteousness, you haven't understood your unrighteousness and His righteousness, you haven't understood the terrible plague of punishment that belongs to people who remain unrepentant and unbelieving. You respond with fear. Finally, and secondly, you respond with faith. What will you do when you hear these trumpets being summoned? You hear their soundings throughout all the earth. Well, of course, you can only hide yourself in Jesus Christ because it's only by hiding yourself in Jesus Christ that you can find any safety from such judgment. And surely it's interesting if you've paid attention in recent weeks when we've studied Exodus in the morning that you have this eagle floating above, a 
This eagle that's announcing this threefold woe upon the earth because the three great trumpets of judgment remain to be summoned and shouted. But don't you remember one of the ways in which God loves in his gospel grace and good news to depict his loving kindness towards sinners like you and me who deserve his judgment? It's people carried on eagles' wings, covered by the wings of an eagle that they might find safety and refuge. So it is, of course, King Jesus himself, who's going to bring judgment. So fear him. It's, of course, Jesus himself that's going to save sinners from that judgment. So believe in him and have faith that these trumpets might be a summon unto greater glory for you, not greater judgment. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would help us to listen carefully, to watch diligently as you rule from your throne in heaven, ruling sovereignly over every nation, every people, doing that which you have decreed is right, uh, doing that which you have decreed is good for us. Father, stir within us by your spirit that fear that we might tremble before you as we ought to with reverence and adoration and awe. And that we also might have an increasing faith towards you, trusting in the amazing grace that you've shown to us in Jesus Christ, the amazing grace that alone can deliver us from the judgment our sin deserves. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.